0: Head to the nextreel.com slash merch.
1: Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in depth conversations. So visit the nextreel.com slash merch today.
0: And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way.
1: You, my friends, are following in the very footsteps of history, something beyond the power of words to describe. Human beings simply aren't built to function. At the cruising altitude of a 747, our bodies will be literally dying. Everest is another beast altogether. It hurts. It's dangerous. Why? I have kids. They see a regular
2: guy can follow impossible dreams. Maybe they'll do the same.
1: Uh, I'm on the top of Everest, Alan. We made it. (laughs)
0: This is the Next Reels film board everybody and each month the gang of thugs gather to take on one film currently in theaters and spoil that film rotten this month. We're heading to Nepal to tackle the great mountain with Everest from director Baltazar Kormakur. I'm Pete Wright and joining us round the table we have Steve Sarmento. Hey,
3: good night everybody. I'm feeling a light, little lightheaded because I did this one without
0: oxygen. <laughs> and Andy Nelson. Hello, hello. And back from his own uh, sojourn up and down the mountain, Justin Yeager.
2: Hi, who wants a snow cone? Before
0: we get into the film, you should learn more about us at thenextreal.com slash filmboard. Subscribe to the show for free on iTunes or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at thenextreel. Be sure to join us at instagram.com slash thenextreal and play the Instagram hashtag pony prize. Hashtag guest the movie challenge. Contests start each Friday. Everest. Everest. My goodness. I have been cold all day since we saw this movie. And the rat holes, when you start looking into the movie and the background behind the movie, this, of course, uh, as I said, Balthazar Cormacor uh, uh, directed at writers uh, uh, William Nicholson and Simon Beaufoy, based on the book uh, by John Krakauer uh, into thin air.
2: Oh, that's totally not true. What? That's what I found out. It's not based on that book at all. It's not? It's totally not. That was why it changed everything that I thought, well, not everything, but a lot of what I thought about the movie. Cormac actually came out and said, doesn't have anything to do with that. Actually, it has more to do with a book that Beck Weathers wrote, but we could talk about that more. <gasps> oh, Really?
0: Oh, yeah. That yes. totally changes things, because John Krakauer is a character in the movie. Right. And we were talking as we walked out about how interesting it is that John Krakauer wasn't deified more in this film, and now I know why. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, Okay, so that is new news, and I'm glad we have that on the table. Apart from that, before we get into more of the details, how did the film hit you, Andy? I I never read the book,
1: and I didn't see the... Wasn't it an IMAX documentary that came out shortly after? I never saw that either, So, uh, except I knew everything that happened. I mean, I didn't know everything that happened, but I knew about the event that happened. This was really my first foray into the details of kind of the situation and i found it really fascinating i enjoyed it quite a bit um i never quite got emotionally involved i never uh was really wrapped up in it as much as i was hoping to be although it still hit me as the uh as all of the uh tragedy starts happening um but yeah i mean i enjoyed it it was an interesting look into the situation um but i didn't walk out loving it
0: all right steve
3: it left me cold
0: I, I, I but see will... now, I have to ask in a good way. <laughs> no, it
3: just—it was something that I experienced, and it was a film that that reenacted events that occurred. But other than that, it just really didn't do much for me. I mean, I—I I will say, seeing it in IMAX, yes, it's a spectacle. But other than that, it, it just didn't do much for me.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: All right, JJ. Well, I'm going to start by saying that. I liked this movie. I think it is something to see, but beyond that, I think I'm saying that right up front because I think pretty much everything else I'm going to say <laughs> over the course of the next the time that we're together is going to sound really negative. <laughs> what a glowing um, review! Yeah, well, and you know, <laughs> to kind of go back to what we were talking about with the whole Crack Hour thing. That so, I was a huge fan of the book. Actually, it was a it was a big page turner for me, and he, it's the only Crack Hour I've read in particular. Um, but I want to read the comment from. Cormacore, because I think it'll kind of lead to some of the stuff that I'll talk about the more uh, as we get into deeper. He says, um, uh, to be honest, I wasn't that interested in telling a story about a writer on a mountain. I've seen lots of movies about writers. And he says that Krakauer's book is a first person account. And there are a lot of things that he assumes or thought that happened that didn't really happen. This is the story of a group of people who are going up this mountain. And I wanted to be true to that. And that's kind of I'm gonna talk a lot about that today because I think <laughs> the idea about truth and the idea about movies and the idea about uh, what makes them good is kind of where I'm gonna get into my contrast here I feel like I need to song. ask the question
0: um Balthazar Kormacor says he doesn't want to take Krakauer's opinion who was there right nobody has any problem with that
3: <laughs> well there's Jeez. there I mean there's you know you've got a lot of people on that mountain a lot of yes, people that were true. you know and he wasn't there for because i read the book as well and so again i was puzzled because i recalled he had a specific point of view about certain things that happened and and this film doesn't stick to any one i don't know that it has a point of view and that's my issue with well, it. that is
0: that is certainly an issue i think with the. Film.
3: so i think you know to, to say you know the filmmaker to say i'm not going to focus on this one account because there are a lot of people that were there that have their versions of events so you know how does he put that all together and i think it's jj saying we can start to discuss how well that works is in terms of a narrative for a film
0: all right all right well i uh, i'm i think i'm with most of you not to belabor the point i i um uh, I, I found myself really distracted by um, some things that I know were supposed to be tragic and sad that ended up feeling uh, really comical. And that sounds so grim, but um, watching really the first—I think the first two um, deaths, I actually grabbed my mouth because I was laughing. Like, I thought, theres there's got to have been a way to actually portray these with the gravitas that that they probably deserved— and uh, it, from then on, I just didn't, I couldn't connect. I couldn't connect with any of these people. There were too many people in too many damn suits that I couldn't tell who was there. I didn't know where they were until they were like totally isolated. Obviously, Rob Hall on the side of the mountain, I got, I followed him. Uh, but otherwise, I was, I was just, it was a wash in characters. And uh, they really nailed the traffic jam. Aspect of Everest that, that I think was started by this whole, you know, by, by commercializing tours uh, to the summit. But wow, did I have trouble getting into this film? This is definitely not, uh, it, it is not aged with me even over the last four hours since I saw it.
1: Yeah, it was a really interesting experience for me because uh, as I told you earlier, Pete, I took my almost nine year old daughter Oof. and she <laughs> really connected with the characters and I think that I had, I maybe had more of a, more of a connection to the events going on than you did because those events that you found so comical, she was in racking sobs uh, like on my chest in just devastated that these people that she had, had grown to know were dying and it really, affected her in a way that I was quite shocked by um, and, and, it, and touched by the fact that, um, you know, just getting to know these people over the course of an hour, um, all of a sudden, as they start having these uh, situations uh, hit them, um, it just, it really hit her hard. And I think that there is some, some uh, something about the the death scenes that I think actually worked for me, um, even though they didn 't work for you, aside from how my daughter reacted to them, I found them almost more shocking the fact that it was just such a a small thing that happened that ended their lives. you know the first guy um, uh, um, he's just he unclips himself and he 's trying to reclip but he 's so out of oxygen and can 't focus that he just you know he just steps right off the edge of the mountain and then the second guy he's you know he's going through that whatever thing where they are delusional and thinks they're too hot and is trying to take his clothes off and slips right off the mountain i mean it's it was fascinating to me that it's just such simple little things like that that can suddenly just end somebody's life up there and and I found that really quite interesting, actually.
0: You know, I do think it's interesting, but I think that, I, but I still can't help the the response. Like the my instant response was not "Wow, uh, look how quickly that happened." It was "Oh my god, I got to stop laughing." like I yeah. really regret this experience that I'm having because I know this is serious but the way it happened so quickly and the way it was framed with uh Hall uh, you know kind of really trying to soberly get himself down the mountain and and his buddy trying to clip himself and it just the the way the the whole incident was framed it was as if we were to just see it as incidental and I, I maybe that was the intention that this you know look at how incidental life becomes when it's on the side of this mountain I, I, that did not connect with me. Like that was, that there was not any of that sort of level of gravitas that I, that I feel like it, it deserved. What, what I do think they did well, speaking of death, not to kind of go down this, this particular road too early, but, but I think, you know, there were a number of times where you, where you'd get this sort of passing, um, as they're climbing the mountain and they would just show you sort of in the foreground, there would be a body frozen in the, in the foreground. And I didn't quite get that at first but as i was looking up the you know looking for actual images for the for from the film um i ended up at this you had a series of articles uh you know most of them really cataloging the graveyard at at twenty six thousand feet and um showing because you, so often they can't get the bodies down off of everest even though it is it is the policy of the nepalese government to actually reclaim bodies that are lost there most of them they can't get to so these bodies are there for decades, just sitting there, and they don't get covered with snow because the snow is blowing too fast, and so you end up walking this. In fact, uh, Scott Fisher, who is played by uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, his body is still there in the same position in which he died, except for now he's in his—he's got his suit on, his boots, and his his suit but it's just a skeleton frozen to the top of his, his skull. It's just a skeleton frozen to the top of his suit. That's still there. Like, there are photos of that on Flickr.
2: That's horrifying. It's, wow. It is
0: horrifying, the number of people they— I think, and, and I haven't seen this attributed well, but there is a, a climber in, uh, in the red suit that, uh, uh, that has been um, attributed to be uh, Rob Hall. Uh, still there frozen, and he 's not frozen in the side of the cliff face like he is in the film he's he 's frozen kind of a different position like he 's fallen over backward but but people say they think that 's him um, wow you know these are it 's just horrifying, so I think that aspect of sort of the sober kind of reality of it, and then to see the what the traffic jam really looks like when you get these these shots from a distance of the not 10, not 20 people climbing Everest at once, but 200 all cabled into the same rope trying to climb the faces that we saw depicted in this film. It gives you a sense of what I think they were trying to to showcase as, as, you know, this inciting incident of the the
2: tourism industry around Everest.
0: And I thought in that respect, it did a good job. I just couldn't connect with the people.
2: Well, yeah, and that's, so I asked the question, uh, or I wanted to ask the question about, uh, you know, getting in touch with the people, the fact that it became this ensemble, um, and that there, you know, I don't know, I don't want to discount anyone's uh, feelings going in, and if they did, get in touch with the people. But I, I I wasn't able to connect with any of them. And that's what, you know, I'm, I mentioned before that I'm a huge fan of the book. There was time in the book to really get into everyone's story. And like one maybe moment where we would have had the chance to connect with the individuals for me was when is going around and asking people why why they want to climb. And no one gave a good answer. No one, I mean, we did find out about the the stories behind them, but no one... It, it, everyone's emotional it felt like everyone's emotionally compelling reason was because it was there and that seemed very empty to me that seemed and it only turned their actual death scenes that were you know because they were so immediate and mildly comical in a way if 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 you were detached in that moment it seemed only consistent with the fact that they didn't have a reason to be there and they were gone and uh, you know the statement that it's making, if it's making a statement which I'm not fully sure that it is right now uh it, it just didn't hit with me uh and because and I would say because of the filmmaking it didn't um both in story and in each of those moments so um you know there are a couple moments that were emotional for me um if we want to talk about death scenes when they the the long slow uh uh pullback from uh, Beck weathers and uh Yasuko, that went on forever and that was one that hit me that was the time that i was connected to it but that was like a that was a filmmaking moment where they made it heavy for me i didn't feel that way with any of the others i can't i didn't get connected when was that
0: that, when was that scene again jj the Uh, pullback from Beck was it was it when they when when beck was left in the snow
2: yep in the, the middle first of the storm time? well he, i feel like he was left like three or four times but it was the last time that he was left in the storm
0: when you get his pov in the the kind of you can't see he can't see very well at that point right his
2: pov first and yeah. then they reverse and they show from him and they do a slow pull and, and, we it, see and Yus- it goes on Yusako for a long time too. yeah i think I would say I would give it like fifteen to twenty seconds, and it, it was heavy for me that was that was the heavy part for me uh, the others the others i, I couldn 't get into it was, it was when that guy
1: came up and, and kind of took the last of what they thought were the alive people from that area and carried them back to camp That was, that was that the one.
0: horrifying part is the fact that he was left for dead right and yeah. I, that was that was tough to watch. Um, and and made tougher when he came back. Like the next day, he was able to kind of muster himself up and and climb down into the camp. That was that was pretty intense.
2: And now that you hear that the story for the film was actually based on his account, I mean that I, I guess for me that that makes a whole lot more sense um, because he you know didn't start out as a central character, but it really became his story. I felt like at some point, and you know I don't think they deified back by any means, but yeah the the subtle turn that he makes or you know whatever it it really starts to give a sort of pov for what he did and of course he was left for dead and did get off the mountain you know it was he wasn't one that went down early and he wasn't one that stayed too late so um i don't know it it, it seems to make sense that that is the the tale that we're we're creating the source material from
1: certainly made sense when uh, you hear that uh, having the texan housewives come to the rescue
2: right (laughs) Yeah,
0: that makes a lot more sense now because that was one of the things we were talking about as I left the theater was, uh, you know, it it comes off as, like, his ego, Beckweather's ego depicted early as they're on the bus together, you know, and just the scripting in that sequence was really hard for me to... To like stay in touch with, I I thought he was, his his character was. It wasn't just that he was abrasive. I mean, I get abrasive, and I can connect with abrasive. This was that he was just sort of nonsensically abrasive. Like his, it, it's almost as if he was. It, it was a Turing test, and and he was a robot just trying to build responses that are that are human like, but not quite human. Uh, and so I had a real problem, you know, and and I I really like Josh Brolin. Like, I think he's fantastic. And, and I'm I'm a big fan of his work. But I had such a hard time early on getting in touch with that character and feeling like I was along for the ride that it I found it really hard to figure out how to care about him later. This still, knowing that it was based on his account, still doesn't um, give me any sense or or, or affect any sense of, of who our, our, you know, so to speak, hero was. Who am I really supposed to follow?
1: Well, I think that, again, speaks to the sense that it feels very um, informative like when I walked out of it I was like wow that was really interesting to learn kind of more of the details about what had actually happened up there but it it doesn't let you connect to anybody.
3: Well there's there's no as I walked out of there and, and having read Krakauer's book I, there was a different perspective on some events and what I think troubles me the most or makes it hard to connect is there's things that went wrong and that film takes no stance to point fingers or place blame or or fault anyone, that it's just, you know, why weren't the oxygen tanks there? Why didn't the ropes get put up? And there's, it's just like, these things didn't happen, so we have nobody to sympathize with because there's no one to blame. There's nobody to say, this is, you know, these you know, I think the closest thing we get is when Jake Gyllenhaal you know, talks about his team. Hey, he's only taking up people that can get up there on his own, whereas Rob's got, you know, like Beck Weathers who's paying him sixty five thousand dollars to get him up there whether he's really capable or able to do it or not, or as we see with Doug, and so that that's the only sort of stance the film seems to take is, yeah, there were some people on the mountain that shouldn't have maybe been there in the South Africans, but it doesn't really set them up as it's because they were there that these bad things happened, and we should fault them. And I felt like the filmmakers were maybe being a little bit, I don't know, hesitant to place blame on those that have passed, you know, that, that didn't make it down off the mountain out of respect for their families. But as a result, we just have, like I said, it's like watching a recreation. It's just very factual. And to me, there's no, yes, there's a sequence of events that happen, but it's not really even telling me Beck's story at all because he comes off as just this really not likable guy at the beginning uh you know there's a scene where he's talking about oh I I thought I was going to acclimatize better and I'm thinking you're not ready to be on this mountain you shouldn't be there he does end up getting rescued but he put himself in a position that he probably shouldn't have been in so I don't sympathize with him and as I recall in Krakauer's book I think is and it's been probably over a decade since I've read that that Krakauer blamed like people like Beck Weathers for why things went wrong because the 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 guides had to take care of these people that weren't ready to be there and that was completely absent from the film and I thought this director is just taking no stance one way or the other of of anything about other than here's it's I'm going to show you a timeline of what happened without any perspective or point of view or opinion about anything
2: right and that's where we get into my problem with the Allegiance to the truth that Cormacore is 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 talking about with the way that he makes this movie. He didn't want a hero. He didn't want a villain. He just wanted to be true and say that hey, these are mistakes that happened, and there was a storm there. And I I understand, I guess the 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 choice that he's making there, but it lacks courage. The thing about Krakauer's book, whether or not you agree with the way that. Krakauer portrays them. He creates protagonists and antagonists. So when we're talking about a good story here, this this movie lacks it in some respects because it is so careful not to point the finger anywhere. Where Krakauer I, and I loved the book. I mean, uh, full confession there. I loved the book. It was I finished it in a week, and I'm a slow reader. It he knows enough to go through and give us his opinion of a hero. And yes, it's his opinion, but he has the courage to put it forth. And I think that's a more courageous choice than what we're what we're seeing here in this in this movie, which is everybody made mistakes. It was a bad storm. There wasn't something we could do. Here's what happened. It, it go ahead. They should make a documentary. Then we need a story. We need a protagonist. We need to know these things if we're going to watch a film in this in this context. Otherwise, it falls flat. And and the story really fell flat for me in that respect. And, and you know, I went in thinking it was an adaptation of the Krakauer book, and I just thought it was a a below average version of it. Now looking at it, it, it seems like they were choices that the filmmakers made to do it this way and I think that was a mistake.
1: Who was the
2: protagonist
1: or antagonist in the book? I mean if if he really did take that perspective, I mean who would you say he was, you know, putting in those positions?
2: I think he was so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna cop out a little bit and say that I think that what Krakauer believed is that the protagonist were the people that had the sense to turn around when it was the right decision to turn around and that and those people weren't profiled in this film at all. We saw them the you know they the three of them had a conversation with Beck on the way down right the three of them uh, you know and and you could argue that Krakauer is kind of saying that about himself, even though he summited first and he came down and he didn't turn around to go get the people. Yeah. I feel like Krakauer had a lot of identified antagonists and said the survival instinct that set up everyone else to get away from the mountain before the real bad stuff happened or following the rules that they set for themselves, that was the protagonist. So I don't think he saying that those people were heroic, just that they listened to their instinct and anyone who didn't, was wrong.
1: Was the documentary following pretty much that same path too?
2: Well, and I haven't seen that. Unfortunately, I can't speak to that.
3: I saw the documentary when it was out in the IMAX theater when was that like 98? And I I I think it's the case of they were there shooting, you know, back in, you know, the 90s when IMAX films were like 45 minute nature spectacles. I think there was a crew that was there shooting a film about Everest when these things happened so there right. were you know it, it didn't take a point of view on that at all and it, and I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theaters but it again it was you know I think similar to this and here's you know about Everest and these things happened these climbers were there but I don't remember it really being anything other than wow something really tragic happened up on the mountain uh, in the spring of 90. Six. Uh,
0: how much of this is, uh, you know, I, I get the the lack of sort of commitment that we're talking about to actually take a stand. How much of this is on, um, you know, the director's vision versus the the, the script? In your opinion, the script is by uh, William Nicholson and Simon Beaufoy, and uh, both of them have some fantastic credits to their name. Uh, in the case of Nicholson, he's behind uh, Unbroken, Les Mis, Gladiator. Uh, Nell, he's got, uh, you know, 20 credits in total. And uh, Beaufoy's recent uh, uh, outings, he had uh, Hunger Games Catching Fire, uh, which we were fans of. Uh, He also did, interestingly, uh, 127 Hours. um, Wow. Speaking of, of, you know, Man Against Nature. And, of course, Slumdog Millionaire um, in Hmm. 2008. So, you know, both of these guys have some, you know, I think some arguably great projects under their belts. And so, you know, how does this stack up? Does it, it it sounds like it doesn't quite convey the story.
3: Well, if you look at, Simon Boyfoy wrote, you said, what, 127?
0: 127 hours, hours, yeah.
3: Right. And so, again, you're looking at a, a, a recreation of a tragic event. But if you look at how, I mean, how emotional that film was when you don't have a lot going on other than, you know, someone stuck and how that experience compares to this. I mean, unless I, I haven't read, you know, the scripts to look at that, but I know that he's capable. He showed himself capable of taking a factual event to, to be able to recreate that in, in structured in a way that, you know, again, you don't necessarily have, you know, traditional protagonist antagonist, but was able to create some emotional investment in that story that we completely lack here. So I think part of it is, the script. There, I think there's some other things going on in terms of of directing that, is, aside from the story, are also issues I have with the film. But focusing on the story, I think you know a writer is, has proven capable of doing that, but I don't see it here.
0: Well, and that may be an, it may be an unfair comparison because that one 127 Hours in particular was co-written by Danny Boyle, the director, and that's you know obviously we have a certain affinity for Danny Boyle.
1: Well, interesting. I mean, William Nicholson wrote Unbroken and uh, which was the uh, the runner documentary that angelina jolie directed last year and he also wrote uh, mandela long walk to freedom from a couple years before that and i i mean they're both uh, biopics just like this and i heard they both fell flat quite a bit i hit, i didn't see either of them so i really can't speak to that but i do think it's interesting that in those cases they uh, were kind of flat Films.
2: Well there's that and then it, it goes to source material too, right? So we talk about Beck Weather's book. It's it's coincidentally called Left For Dead. Um, the other thing that they say and that they say it, it also comes from is that it incorporates lines directly from the audio tapes from May tenth of that year. And so you get into sort of like the screenwriter's idea of the source material they're taking exact things and again i I just I, i don't mean to hark on that point but it lacks commitment to tell a story and it feels more like reporting what happened so it's interesting that you know we have those experiences of possibly other screenplays that fell flat and then you take source material that's you know by nature exact as opposed to dramatic and it 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 it's that's probably all part and parcel to what the feeling is there.
0: You know, I've been thinking about this, JJ, because you know we've got Steve Jobs coming out, uh, the Aaron Sorkin, Danny right. Boyle uh, film coming out in just a, a little bit, and that seems like a perfect counterexample. First of all, that Steve Steve Jobs book was based on a, a book that wasn't great. If you particularly if you follow kind of the the history of Jobs and the and you know the the stories and the the rest of the lore, it's not a great book, um, but. Uh, what you have in Aaron Sorkin is a guy who is not afraid to make a commitment one direction or the other and to you know vilify if it tells a good story and and I think it'll be you know the early reports are that this movie is fantastic it's the movie to watch um, and and driven largely by the uh, commitment and style and tone of a great screenwriter Um, and and we just don't we don't have that here. I think that is a, a counterexample. You know, in Sorkin's case, some of the things that are in the movie are not true. Uh, even the people who lived them, you know, when you hear um, uh, Steve Wozniak say, no, a lot of these things were not true, but it was such a damn good story that I really <laughs> like this movie. Awesome. Like that's, a, that's really a big deal, you know? And, and I, don't, I just don't, I, I don't know, I, I don't get any sort of feeling like that from, from Everest. I walk away feeling flat, and and the source material in particular in this movie, I should feel something about this. I really should. I feel empty and cold inside.
1: It's an interesting dilemma, and I mean we've talked about truth in film quite a bit in the last few uh, uh, months of our episodes, um, with you know Deer Hunter and portraying the war in Vietnam, and uh, Sophie's Choice and and World War II and just how people choose to portray. Uh, real situations, um, it it's tricky. And uh, I think you're right. I think uh, something like The Social Network was a, a film we talked about a long time ago. And it's a very interesting example of kind of manipulating the truth to create a better story. And, you know, where in the line lies as far as uh, a storyteller, you know, making a better story for film, um, you know, where, what's the point that they shouldn't cross um, because a lot of people see social network and go, man, that Mark Zuckerberg's a, a complete ass, and uh, taking it for truth, you know? And, and so it's it becomes an interesting line in the world of, of storytelling. And I'm always, uh, I, I shouldn't say always, but it, it just, it leaves me a little bit at a loss, like, you know, where is the line? And I don't know if there, uh, you know, what to say about where that line is. And a film like this, I I watch it and I say well I appreciate that he um tried maybe t- telling it a more true story as far as how things actually happened but it does end up creating less interesting film and uh, I guess that's the challenge of filmmakers is you know are you going are you going to just tell a straightforward story or are you here Telling a story for the audience to enjoy, even if you have to manipulate the truth a little bit.
0: Let's uh, let's talk through some of the cast members, if you're all right with that, because there's a there, you know, there's a case to be made. I think here, as in many films, that you know these guys the turned in some really good performances. I think in some cases uh, that um, uh, that we should probably talk about, even if the overall film is not did not live up to our expectations. Um, the The title role, I think, the the you know our leaders of uh, the the uh, teams we have uh, Jason Clark playing Rob Hall, and uh, we have Jake Gyllenhaal uh, playing uh, Scott Fisher. These are the teams that merged at Camp One, Two, Three, wherever they were, and decided to do the ascent together. and And neither of these guys made it off the mountain. What would you think of their performances?
1: I really didn't have a problem with any of the performances in the film. Uh, it, Jason Clark, I thought, brought a nice. Um, sense of burden along, I think, that kind of trying to sort out this um, this monster that he had created and trying to figure out how to manage this situation, um, I, I thought he did a good job uh, portraying that.
0: It was still, I, it, even though I, I walked out not really connecting with it, it was still a better turn for him than Terminator Genesis. so I'll, I'll leave that out.
2: And well it's interesting that you bring that up because I think that uh, I saw a note that said that uh um Christian Bale was actually initially uh, thought of to be Rob <laughs> Hall. Right. And at right. that point and at that point the film was mostly about Rob Hall. And then when he bagged out to go do what is it? Exodus uh Gods and Kings. Gods and Monsters or whatever. Yeah. Um <laughs> Exodus uh, Monsters Ball. Yeah. <laughs> Then they decided to make it more ensemble. And, I mean, I actually didn't have a problem with any of the performances either. I, I bought into it. I, I was actually shocked at, at how well Keira Knightley got the accent. I, do, I, I love Keira Knightley, and I just have never seen that. so. Uh, and that's a particular accent. Um, I don't know. I, w- I was happy with the performances. Uh, love seeing Stamper. Always love him on screen. Uh, Michael Kelly, and um, yeah, I thought it was a, a, a great... I was super impressed with the cast.
3: You know, it was one of these things where I looked at everybody in this film and said, it's 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 lesser than the sum of its parts. How is right. this happening? Because it, it is. I mean, it's casting, and I, it, one of the things I talked about my daughter with after, because I took her and her boyfriend with to see it, and we talked about, you know keeping track of everybody are, are each of these people individual enough and are they casting and performance enough that you know who each of these people are that you're not confused because you know as they both said well, there's a lot of guys with beards so how can you how can you distinguish between this guy with the beard this guy with the beard and that and I think the film did a good job of that in the casting the performances that they each have a unique per- personality that comes across not just generic mountain climber with beard numbered one two and three. So I yeah i I just think, in terms of shooting a film like this, knowing it's gonna be for IMAX, there's some some tight close ups that just were way too intense again, Kira Knightley tearing up and, and crying, and it's just like her tears are the size of like three story buildings on IMAX, <laughs> and it was just I'm like that's a little bit too close for my comfort zone uh, when I'm seeing a full blown IMAX. So it just brought brought her and a lot of the face the facial close-ups like right into your lap, and I thought that's not quite working with IMAX. The mountain looks huge. I shouldn't ex- I shouldn't see pores looking you know the size of basketballs on on the screen, but. Well, we
0: yeah, definitely can... need to talk about the IMAX effect in a second, because that's yes. that's important. Uh, but I do want to call out uh, John Hawks. I think he did a fantastic job, even if I wasn't crazy about his particular death scene. I, I love seeing him on screen, and and uh, it was unfortunate that he was written out in the way... Uh, <laughs> it's unfortunate that history wrote him out in such a way that it was depicted this way on screen. Uh, I, I think it was funny that we talk about the Terminator, and Sam Worthington ends up showing up in this film. Like The connections between Terminator are just too great. Uh, but I thought he had actually did did uh, a great job it was nice to see him on stage the the list of people that are you know that are I, I don't think any of them are at the level of saying that this film could have been a vehicle for them particularly just because it was so ensemble and i do loving up bringing up vehicle on this show again with you guys uh but i do really i found myself surprised at just how big a cast this is at the end the guys who made it back down to camp and they're exchanging hugs i was like have those guys been in this movie this whole time like it, it, would I have seen them on the side of the mountain or did they just show up? They're just guys who show up in the end crying. Well, that's uh,
3: that's one of the points that, you know, I think is the, the issue with the film, because as as J.J. said, you know, the in Cracker's book, it's the the hero, the protagonists are those those guys that turn around and come back, you know, that decide not to go for the summit because there's just things going on. And I'm like, I haven't seen those guys before. There were several times I'm like, who who are those guys? I mean, I know I I knew I hadn't seen them before because I couldn't match them with anything, and it was problematic to me because I didn't know if they were part of another team because we've already been set up with there's so many teams and were those Scott's team? I I didn't know, and we we just didn't get a full sense of who everybody was in terms of their role of where well, they had Scott's team or Rob's team. And that was a big problem for me, as well as where we were on the mountain at certain points. To know who somebody was and why they were there, I couldn't keep track of where are we, why are you showing us this, who are these people, how are they related to what we just saw in the previous scene. Right. So, so just to keep track of all the people on the mountain, I knew, you know, I think they did a nice job with you know, costuming so that, okay, I see a guy in yellow and black. Okay. That's Doug. Okay. Now he's walking up the mountain, Rob's in red and I can track those people and I could do that. But again, I, I knew they were distinct individuals, but I couldn't place necessarily who everybody was, what team they were part of and, and where they were in the, in the truck up the mountain, which became very problematic.
1: And see, I think that's interesting. Cause I, I, for some reason I had a pretty easy time figuring out who everybody was and, and knowing which teams they were on and everything. Uh, and where they were on the mountain. But I still didn't fully connect with them.
3: So there's the the one that bothered me the most was there's a scene with a, a woman and a Sherpa. And she's talking about, no, no, I'm not going to go back. That's the MSNBC I gal. Is that who that... Because I, I thought I wasn't sure. And then I thought the Sherpa's with her. And then we get to the, oh, the ropes aren't there. The ropes aren't right. there. I'm like, is this... Are, Okay, now I'm trying to piece together why you edited it together in this order. Are you telling me this person was responsible for doing that, and because he was helping this woman, he couldn't get there to get the ropes? I don't know, because you're not giving me enough information. You're just showing me, here's these two people over here. Yeah, okay. the why
2: was totally unclear Yeah. why totally, that happened you know, the way it did.
3: Same thing with the with the oxygen tanks. It's like, okay, we had a lot of discussions about we need to bring these oxygen tanks, and then it's... No, there's no... I don't have any. And I'm like, okay, is that the case? Or is it he's gotten... Because of lack of oxygen, he's not able to think clearly and isn't being able to know that those are full or half full. Because then later on he goes back and says, "Oh, Rob, I found some; they're half full."
2: Krakauer, can we talk? That, that might be a time to talk about how Krakauer represented that. And I don't know how much you want to go down this way on it, but Krakauer talked about that as as it was because he was compromised in his logical thinking that there were multiple half-filled. O-tanks, o oxygen tanks up there on the mountain, and that he went and checked them multiple times, but because he was not thinking straight, it was that. And he, and Krakauer didn't point the finger at him. He said, you know, it could have been because of this. Who knows? Krakauer said, we don't know why he wasn't able to make that connection while it, while it was there. It might have been the tense situation. He sort of threw out all the questions that could be possible there, For and I think that character is Harold, Andy Harris, right? That was checking them. And he just said, you know, all we know is that there were these half-filled oxygen tanks there, and the chance to have the oxygen was there, but because people weren't thinking straight, in particular, Harold, uh, people didn't get oxygen, and there was this perception. So th- that's the kind of thing where, because they just there were two, maybe seven-second vignettes about it, and that, that particular point, we didn't get anything about that. But Krakauer did a good job of saying, this happened, this is someone who could have affected it, and we don't know why it didn't happen. So that's the kind of stuff I missed in this movie, just the the full perspective and the why.
3: Yeah, there seemed to be lots of setups of these are things that may become issues, and then when they did, there was just, just, the ball was dropped as far as follow-up on any point of view or perspective or position on why that happened, or without even saying it happened because of this, of giving us some context of it could have been this or that, To give us options, even, it was just, like, no one knows, it just so happened to be this way, which, again, you're not telling me a story, you're just chronicling events again.
0: You know, the mountain, I think, ended up looking convincing and beautiful. I mean, knowing that they didn't spend, you know, 90 days on the side of Mount Everest to shoot this thing. Uh, I ended up feeling like I was in in place uh, pretty well. You guys uh, agree? How'd you feel about the look of the film?
1: I only noticed one shot uh, in the whole film, which is pretty impressive. Where they were looking up at the top of Everest, and it looked a little digital. I, and that was like just one shot. The rest of the time, I was convinced they were there. And I know they shot some of it in Nepal, and I believe some of it at one of the base camps. Right? Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, it's, but, it's my but,
3: understanding they used some of that footage from the Everest documentary from 90 whatever they used some of that footage actually in this film so i don't know if that's just no. some of your um establishing shots or things like that but i had read somewhere that they had used some of that f- actual footage of everest in this
0: film the cinematography is uh it was done by salvatore totino um who has done some other films that i actually uh quite like um well, he did the uh, Robert Langdon films, right? He did The Da Vinci Code and Angels <laughs> and Demons. Uh, he's he's definitely a um, uh, Ron Howard guy. Uh, he did Made in America, the documentary, People Like Us, The Dilemma. He did Frost Nixon. I was a big fan of that film. And Cinderella Man. So he's got some big films under his belt. He ended up doing this, uh, this film. I think generally capturing um, compelling uh, scenes of largesse, uh, he did a pretty good job. With I I felt like I was there, particularly the the ice falls. I I ugh, man, I I felt like if there could have been some more visual thrills like that, like that's what I was expecting going into this movie. And there just I felt like there weren't enough. I I wanted more of that sort of exhilaration. Uh, as long as it was going to be so big, and then we're sitting there in a film that is ostensibly you know it's made for IMAX, it's made for the big screen it's done up in 3d and i walked out thinking uh,
2: and that you know I, I know you wanted more thrilling things but if they were to make it thrilling then you know we could have seen that maybe the mountain's kind of the bad guy here, so let's, you know, back off. Don't make it too (laughs) thrilling. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But I I thought that a lot of the setup shots were pretty. Um, uh, There were three particular shots that I loved, uh, and some of the aerials were great. Uh, The aerial that brought us to the bridge, when we started early in the film, where we were coming up there, and you saw the two bridges, the two rope bridges, and they were so small and so far away, and as you got closer, you saw all the climbers coming across the bridge. And then they, the, the aerial moved up and over the bridge and it went all the way vertical and looked down. That was a beautiful shot. Uh, And then I talked about the pullback shot that I liked. There were two shots of the side of the mountain that I liked. Well, or actually one that I liked and one that I didn't. And it's going to talk a little bit about the emotion. When Jake Gyllenhaal, when uh, Scott Fisher is on the side of the mountain and not dead yet, and they show him full screen left, and you have the full background there. That worked well. Then they did the same shot with Rob Hall when he is pretty much dead, and that's not a statement to me. Um, unless they're using it as a contrast, and I didn't get that. So um, I take those three shots. They were my three favorite shots. Outside of that, it it was pretty much missing it. Uh, I think you go back to the point that we were talking about with the IMAX before. There's so many, you know close-ups and extreme close-ups and it's like this is not an IMAX movie um I don't think you need to see it in IMAX there's 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 the thing that I was hoping like you said Pete um to go there and see these amazing shots in this beautiful mountain mixed with the drama of the climb just weren't there because uh while there were some great setup shots and there were some of those pretty things the thrill was gone yeah I I, I
3: think JJ pretty much hit hit it on that I, I think there was um yeah, I don't know that I'm, I. I think people should see it, in the, if they're interested, go see it in the theater on a, on a large screen, you, you know, not maybe necessarily IMAX. I saw it in IMAX 3D. I don't know if you guys had that. I experience. think we had to. It was It's exclusive it was, this week. Was, was yeah. it just... Okay, so you, the only option yeah. was 3D? Okay, only yeah. Option. I don't know that, and as far as I know, this is one of those. I don't think it was shot in 3D initially. I think it, they, whatever, they convert it post. But yeah, neither of those things really added a lot to me. I think the shots JJ mentioned, those those some of those beauty shots on the bridge and all that, the, the 3D did add something, or when they're across the ladders, it added a little bit more of that, and those are the only times I actually felt anything. But um yeah, there there wasn't really I think in terms of the IMAX effect, I wasn't as wowed as I thought I was going to be.
0: It didn't once go big. That's the thing that I was so frustrated about. Like, even in the worst IMAX experience, when you actually see the aspect ratio change repeatedly throughout the film, like uh, uh, Dark Knight... Uh, rises and i I mean i i found myself so frustrated with that that film because the imax aspect ratio keeps changing uh compared to when it's done really well like in catching fire when she goes up the elevator and it enters the arena and it changes from to to the big format imax and and then it rides out the rest of the film in that format um it didn't once actually appear to have been shot in IMAX. It just appeared to be a, you know, a, a fairly large movie that went way too uh, enthusiastic on using the big screen for close-ups than using the big screen to really capture the the grandiosity of the environment. Um, I just well, didn't, didn't feel it, Andy.
1: They didn't actually film it in
0: IMAX though, right? No, I don't think they did. Then but that's why I walked out so frustrated because yeah. what am I doing like why are they doing this exclusive IMAX 3D thing? When the movie doesn't need it, they didn't. They didn't aspire to it.
3: You could get the same effect by sitting about eight inches away from your TV screen.
0: I get the same. I could like put my iPhone on a little hook over my head, like (laughs) yeah.
3: That that was really it. It was just everything was was just blown up big, and yeah, it just didn't do it. I mean, I was this okay. One other thing that bothered me is we we start off on Everest at the beginning of the film. Like, they're on there, they're going for the summit or whatever, and then all of a sudden it's like three months earlier. And so I thought, structurally, I'm like, this is the only way you can get me interested, is to show me these great shots of Everest and the climbers, and that nice sort of profile shot of them as the camera sort of pans down the side of the mountain as we see this trail of climbers. I'm like, oh, this is going to be exciting. Oh, cut to now three months ago, now we're going to get all this background and characters, which, again, we have no emotional investment. And then we come back to the same shot again. Was like, they repeated
2: the exact, the exact same, same shot. shot, and
3: there was no emotional Ugh, resonance for me for peeve. that. Of like, is it? Am I seeing this again? Because I'm now going to have a different experience. Like at first, it's like, wow, this is really cool, and then now later on, because we know bad things are going on, that there's some you know sense of looming doom and tragedy about what we're seeing. No, it was just let's use the same shot again, and I, I that really disappointed me because there there was nothing. The changed about our perspective on that, but by that point, I had pretty much figured out the film wasn't going to do anything to stir any emotions out of anybody at that point, anyway.
2: I was I was waiting for them to redrop the title card. I
0: was like, "Oh,
2: here's the mountain again. <laughs> Let's see what's this movie called." Don't forget, it's
0: Everest. That's what, I'm going to do that on every movie now. <laughs> Don't forget, you're watching Everest. <laughs> Uh, I think it we'll screwed right up the back. pacing for me too. Uh, opening on the mountain for no real compelling reason screwed up the right. pacing for me because, like, then it took us back to the you know to the building and here we are. We got crack hour. We're at an airport. We're flying around. We're doing training, and I felt like that part w- ended up being sort of ramrodded down our throats a little bit. And without enough, you know, the, they did the big setup like we're going to train you, but there was no training montage like. There was like there was no evidence that anybody was actually training for forty days, uh, and then they're on the mountain. and And I know that it's enormously difficult to compress, you know, sixty days of preparation and, and experience to actually mount a summit of Mount Everest into you know two hours. I know that's that's difficult, but it just threw the pacing off. And I think because of that, that would have been a great opportunity to get to know these characters a little bit, even if we, even if we have to to you know eschew some of the. Uh, camp stuff.
3: Well, yeah, there was there was there was a lot of story, and even uh, Sam Worthington's character, Guy, and his team that are over on a mountain five miles away, because we see Rob talk to them, and we get the little, you know, note, five miles, west, you know, east of or west of Everest. And I thought, who are those guys? Why are they there until that he comes back? And I thought, uh, okay, we had we had never, as I recall, we had never seen him before. To again, to give us context of. Who they were, and I thought if you need to pick some things to cut, yeah, cut all that stuff at the introducing everybody because we could have got all that embedded at camp better. And going back to JJ's point of that scene with Krakauer asking everybody why they're doing it is a great opportunity to really just flesh out these characters and delve into them. And I would have rather started the film there at base camp. To just really get to know everybody and set things up, but instead we felt rushed all the way through to just chronicle events.
2: And a point to pacing, once we got into the climax, or even, I mean, the climax went on for a, a good amount of time. Once we started getting into the real dread at the top of the mountain, and then slamming us into the living room in you know, Christchurch, and then slamming us into the dining room in Texas, you know, going from a a raging storm on the mountain with an s- extremely loud music cue to, to drop us into, hey, we're calling ambassadors, it, it, there was there was definitely a miss there. Uh, it, it was super disjointed in the middle of high drama to get a, a satellite phone call. And I, I get that maybe that's the timing of the way things happened, but it's not, accurate for an audience member in, in any regard.
1: We haven't really talked about the director much, and I really haven't seen much of his films. I know he was kind of a, a big director in, uh, I believe he's from Iceland, before he kind of started making some U.S. films. But, I mean, Contraband, Two Guns, I mean, they're films that strike me... As movies that I can take or leave, you know, just kind of uh, mindless action sorts of films. Maybe I'm not being fair to them, but I haven't seen them. That's how they appeared from the trailers. It's it just strikes me that it may be just a little odd that this is the guy who was helming this project.
2: If it were the Krakauer project, he would not be the director. That's my my guess. I, I've, well, not but any, I've not seen, seen any of these movies, so. even
1: as the the Beck project, it still strikes me as as a strange choice right even as the first project
2: right if this is the first you know feature film about this everest story yeah, you're right
0: so i uh i was going to make a i was going to make a, a crack about the first time i saw this film when it was called cliffhanger <laughs> and and i would i would love i i sort of wish that we i sort of wish that we had done a show on cliffhanger because i would love to flick chart this next to cliffhanger <laughs> uh but mostly i went to the impa uh, the movie uh, uh movie poster awards gallery to look at the posters and what's really funny is that the poster for everest and the poster for maze runner the scorch trials are <laughs> identical with the exception of color tone one is blue one is red and uh i find that um i find that telling about uh, this season's uh releases anybody moved by the music
1: I don't know. I guess it didn't hit me that much. I, I love Dario Marianelli. I think he's a fantastic composer. Um, it. I mean, I guess it kind of did its job, but I really wasn't paying that much attention to it. The one thing that I did notice audio-wise is there were times, and I don't know if it was the audio mix, I don't know if it was the the amount of wind or effects or music in any particular scene, but there were a good number of scenes where I just could not even figure out what the heck people were saying. And, oh,
0: yes. Oh. And,
1: and I was just like, am I supposed to be hearing what they're saying? Or is this kind of just a, an artistic decision to make it this way? Because I just, I mean, for the life of me, I'm just like, I feel like they're saying something important, but I just don't know what it is.
0: Wow. I'm glad you brought that up. I think it's, you know, how am I supposed to build that emotional connection with people with, who just constantly have stuff on their faces?
1: Like, Well, they, it wasn't even it wasn't even masks,
0: that. talking through oxygen, talking through wind.
1: There were times where I could see their mouths and and <laughs> they they were actually talking on screen with their their face right there in the shot and there's still just so much noise that I couldn't figure out what the heck they were saying.
0: To your point about Dario Marnelli, you're absolutely right and I had I had forgotten at, you know we just saw the Box Trolls. I loved the soundtrack to the Box Trolls, the score of the oh, Box yeah. Trolls. Uh long way down terrific uh redemption terrific. Like he's just got a history of fantastic um uh, scores and and um i i didn't this is another one i I didn't connect with, but I think I was already as, so disgruntled with the overall experience of the film that i i didn't um it just didn't help
2: uh, my thing is just the fact that it it went from- z- uh, we'll say seven hundred to zero much too rapidly for me there wasn't consistency in it to me but it, but other than that, I didn't notice the thing I did have the problems hearing people as well um in terms of the the script but um you know I kind of just attributed that to the the uh, environment. Pete, what did you say when you left the, the theater?
0: What did I say?
2: I don't that remember. is not an inspiring no. <laughs> film.
0: I remember what I was going to say. I had a whole point. You're right. I did. I walked out. I said, that is not an inspiring film. But then, as, as we were driving home, I, we, we pulled into the house, and I realized who the hero was of the entire film. Okay. It was the helicopter pilot, the Nepalese <sighs> helicopter pilot. That was, I think, maybe the most exhilarating uh, 30-second sequence of the entire film for me when they rescue Beck. And he the pilot turns to him and says, I'm just going to lift the tail off the ground, and then we're going to fall for a while. Are you okay with that? I'm good. I was in stitches. But the best part of it was I'm sitting next to it. This is the first time we've been able to do this. I'm sitting next to J.J., In the theater as we're watching this. Now, JJ, for those who don't know, has spent an inordinate number of hours in a helicopter. And I don't know what he was thinking during this time. We didn't talk about it. But watching him watch this helicopter in action at, you know, 20 some odd thousand feet made that experience so much better.
2: I I, I I was shaking my head constantly and saying, <laughs> no way, do, do not. I, and I honestly don't remember from the Crack Hour book whether they did or not. I wouldn't have believed it. It must be true if it's in this movie. But wow, the whole let's fall off the mountain and see what happens idea, <laughs> never would I ever do any of this stuff that anyone in this movie was doing, but not in a helicopter, no way, no how.
3: He, it wasn't until we see what happens. He said, I'm going to drop until the blades catch the wind or something like that because yeah, catch the air. That's all he because could it's, do. It's too, well, he could exactly. Do. But, yeah, as soon as they started going up there, I thought I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm like, I, I know they can't get helicopters up that high. The air is too thin. There's nothing to – there's no lift. They're not going to be able to do this because I, I – don't remember if they were able to airlift him. So yes, it was Pete. It is probably like if you're gonna watch this movie, watch okay the opening title sequence and then just skip to this part because yeah. it, <laughs> it is great. it's exhilarating it so awesome to <laughs> to see you know like the are they gonna go? They're gonna they make one pass at it. No, we gotta pull some weight off of it and then gonna try it again.
0: Yeah, you know that was totally my thought too when they go up there and he's like, oh, we can't make it, and so then they leave. And I thought, well, that's pretty much the tale of this movie. Like we're right. just gonna we're gonna try stuff and it's not gonna work so we're not gonna do it again. But when they went back after throwing seats out and stuff, I thought, okay, this is it. The whole movie's gonna pay off, right here at about an hour and a half, uh, and and it sure did. When he was, it was like a, it was like a pod race. <laughs> it was the end. He's like going down through the ice falls. That was great. Uh, it was great. All right uh the movie is so as we as we may have mentioned we saw this movie all of us saw this in imax 3d because it is exclusive for the first week in imax 3d they're doing a partnership um and so i i think and i don't mean to speak for you all but i think the general recommendation is you know what hold off this week wait until it opens uh nationwide and skip the imax 3d you don't need it am i right a A firm
1: that's correct i you know I I don't know. I still enjoyed the scope of Everest on the on the big big screen. So I you know I I don't know if I would say skip the IMAX. I I still enjoyed just the large of looking at that mountain on the screen.
0: All right, there you have it.
1: So I'm in the I'm in the sure why not camp.
0: Three out of four, Dennis rec- uh, agree. All right, so let's go around the table. Uh, last words, everybody. Andy, why don't you start?
1: I think I enjoyed it slightly more than you guys did. Um, And maybe it's just because of uh, my daughter uh, and her experience of watching the film. Um, I didn't love the film. I found it very interesting to watch. I enjoyed learning about kind of this situation and and the horrors of it and getting a sense of what this world of hiking Everest has become as it's gone so commercial. I really enjoyed all of that aspect of it. I, but I just didn't fall in love with the film. I I didn't get really emotionally invested in the film. It was I thought it was pretty to look at. I really enjoy the spectacle of it. But, um, but yeah, I just I I wanted to walk out of it feeling um uh, just completely heartbroken by the lives lost and and thrilled by the people who made it off. And I just didn't walk out feeling anything.
3: Uh, let's see my notes that I had written. Beforehand, I I wanted my closing thoughts were that it was a competent film that reenacts the events of you know the spring of nineteen ninety six. And now I don't, I guess competent in the sense that yes, the film has a beginning and an end, and there's scenes that are that are make a cohesive narrative from that basically sequence events that happen. But I don't. As we've discussed this more, there's I think there's just so many issues with this that to me. It's a great intro for somebody that, you know, is. I hope will then go pick up Krakauer's book after this, and I, I hope it leads people to, to learn more about this. Maybe as a launching point, and that's the best thing that this film can do, is people walk in thinking they're going to get a spectacle and are disappointed and want to learn more about what happened, and we'll we'll look at the other sources that I think are going to give them a lot more exhilarating uh, adventure just through reading Krakauer's book Into Thin Air uh but yeah i was really disappointed in this it is has some some beauty shots but other than that i there wasn't a lot that i took away from
2: it both andy and steve said really good things and and i i would echo it i want to go back to the first thing i said everything i've said over the course of this hour has really sounded negative but it I, I did like the movie it is something to see I think you should see it on a big screen or a really nice screen I don't think it belongs on IMAX I can't stand 3d um, it, it's good to see that but I think what the point that Steve's making is the thing that I that I think is is most important it, it it's an important time of an important story that happened i love the crack hour book and if nothing else especially for people like uh you pete and andy who uh haven't experienced the crack hour book it's great to know that this happened and to get some of the beginning and maybe it'll lead people to to read those the captivating story that's out there
0: i you know i i think it's funny that we you know now that we know where this the movie actually came from that that uh we keep coming back to crack hour when in fact the book was based on left for dead my journey home from everest uh, by Beck Weathers, and so I'm actually curious about that one too. Uh, that that makes me, and and I'm with you guys, b- both of you. I'm the Crack Hour book is one that's that's now, you know, high on my list. But I'm really curious about the you know the perspective that comes from, um, you know, Josh Brolin's alter ego, um, and and in fact here it is. He was subject to one of the highest altitude medical evacuations ever performed by helicopter. It is plum documented, crazy. Wow. anyhow last words on the film for me i this is one that i'm i'm glad i saw i'm glad i experienced it the best thing about it for me was the uh was a learning about what is going on in everest the the economy that has built up around everest and and uh, uh, that's fascinating just fascinating to me the helicopter uh falling uh down the side of the mountain and if you can see it in a theater where you are also sitting next to Justin Yeager, you should definitely take that <laughs> that opportunity because those are the best three parts of the film. So, can I, I want
1: to one thing I forgot to mention that I was really bummed about um, because they have the little bits of text at the end and the pictures of everybody whose lives were lost, etc. I really wish that they had a, a, a text screen up just saying what has happened to the industry here. Did this event Cause a change in in the industry in the, in the the uh, mountain expedition industry of people going up Everest has it improved, or is it is this still how it is? I was kind of that really wanted to know
3: well, Andy, come on, you know that that film would have to take a stand on something and, and say <laughs> it was a good thing or a bad thing, and it just is not willing to do that.
1: Refusers. I you know I I don't think uh, it it does have the stuff at the beginning when he's talking to all the people I feel like that scene is presented I feel like it raised the question in my head and I feel like they very easily could have said something there and I would have uh, you know been happy to learn it
0: You know it's and and I can uh, you know just in in my rat hole I it looks like it has gotten much much worse um the number of people trying to simultaneously kind of climb this thing there were 600 and uh almost 700 people who tried to do it last year 250 people have died most of them are still up there along this narrow path as they as you summit so it's it sounds like a really horrifying experience i, I can't i just can't imagine wanting to to do that head over to flickchart.com slash tnr film board and uh, you can see all the movies that we have ranked as gangs of thugs and you can s- uh, sign up for an account. You can see if uh, if your list of our movies match our list of our movies uh, in terms of your favorites. We would love to see them. Now, let's see how Everest, how high Everest climbs. Is that a thing? Can the mountain actually climb?
1: All right. Everest or the Born Legacy?
0: Born Legacy. Born Legacy.
1: Born Legacy. Yeah. Born Legacy. Everest or Child 44? I Everest. will definitely say Everest here.
0: Yeah,
1: the Everest. Everest. And we need Tommy to do his uh, train line here. <laughs> <laughs> Everest or Thor: The Dark World. Thor for me. Yeah. Thor. Yes. Thor. Thor. Uh, Everest or the Equalizer.
0: I will do Everest. I'm interested in Steve's perspective
2: on this one.
3: You, you okay. know, I'm gonna pick the Equalizer. And I, yeah. I believe JJ may back me up
0: on that one. I think he may.
2: Yes, I will. Equalizer.
0: Yes. I can't remember how I feel about the equalizer. <laughs> well, oh, it's time on. for I, my blog post. Hold it's on. I'm going to go listen post. to that episode again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think <laughs> I'm going to say the equalizer. All
1: right. Everest or Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit? I will say Everest here.
2: Everest.
0: Um. Hmm. none of us really
1: liked Jack Ryan
0: I know I still think that's a that's a a movie I may put on first
1: yeah
3: because it does have like you actually like there's some suspense and there's action and there's yes there are ridiculous things and yeah light bulbs in the mouth and Kenneth Branagh is I am Russian but I'm gonna I'm gonna say you can have fun with that though yeah there's no there's no there's no emotion really. to this. I will enjoy even <laughs> hating Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit because it's at least something going on that makes me feel something.
0: So is that what you're picking too? Yeah. Are we split?
3: Yeah, we're split.
0: Alright. Uh I think uh I think it needs to be uh JJ and Steve. Okay. Okay. Do you want me to count? Is that, do you, is that I, uh, to Are least, you waiting for a counter? I,
3: I thought Andy was the official counter person. I, oh, am I? Remember. Sorry. Okay. okay. You okay.
0: sort of Ready? count at the same time.
1: So. Oh, okay. Okay. Ready? And one, two, three. Paper. <laughs> okay. All right. That was JJ. <laughs> <Yeah>. Everest. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Everest takes that one. And now we're down to, uh, it looks like Everest and. Is it gonna give me the Wolverine? <laughs> nope. It's one of those things where it's like, uh, oh yeah, it's because it beat Jack Ryan. So there it is. It's number twenty-seven out of thirty-eight.
0: All right. Sure. Okay. That's that, that's definitely in the right half. I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, oh, well, what's, this... it? what's
1: we need the star ratings for everybody for that's Letterboxd?
0: Right. That's right. I think I'll be. Well, they would head over stuff.
1: to they'd head over to letterbox.com slash the next reel. <laughs> For hey, that I don't know these things. I that's not one I uh,
0: hang out at. Letterbox.com slash the next reel and uh, uh there's a list, right? There's a list. The film board list, you have a list?
1: They can they can check our diary and they can look at all the films or they can look at the lists and they can see everything that uh, the film board has ranked, yeah.
0: I like I just like that we have a diary. That's I funny. didn't know that it was called a diary, but now I feel better.
3: <laughs> Shouldn't it be a journal instead of a diary?
0: Mm, that's too hipster. Oh, Okay, yeah. I'm two stars.
3: All right, Steve. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was thinking two and a half out of five. Right? Yeah, yeah out of five. Yeah.
1: I'm, on,
2: I'm cool. on two and a half as well.
1: And right, I'm I'm three and a half. So wow. there you go.
2: So what? Are you
0: doing that math quick? Yeah. Oh, it's pretty much two and a half, isn't it? No, two and three quarters. <laughs> two five, and six four, eighths
1: to uh, <laughs> 2.625 yes oh, so well. we'll we'll call that a 2.5 all
0: right i i all certainly right. feel good about that what do we i'm i'm actually really excited we got this one out of the way because where do we go next month another disaster film <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: kind of <laughs> hopefully hopefully it won't be a disaster we're going to be uh jumping into the James Bond franchise no wait no not we're, no, we're, we're not sir
3: no we're not we're,
0: <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a whole month ahead How of myself dare you sir We're going to Mars.
3: We're going to Mars.
0: (laughs) Yes, we are doing The Martian, and that's just in a couple of weeks. So we will be back. Uh, Gang of Thugs will be back for The Martian. And that one, I will say, was shot in real 3D. It is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're going to see it in 3D, this would be the movie to see uh, in 3D. I'll probably see it in 3D.
2: Yep. I don't know if it's IMAX.
0: But I'm really. really Everything is, and I'll tell you, everything's
1: being released in IMAX, including uh, Jack Ryan:
0: Shadow Recruit. (laughs) 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 Uh, I will say, I read an early review out of the Toronto Film Festival where The Martian played uh, last week, and they said that the film is just transformative. It's going to take the world by storm. It's fantastic. So, very much looking forward to this. It's got some big, giant Martian shoes to fill excellent uh, I think that's it On uh, uh, this was a good conversation about a mediocre movie but as always it is great together with you gentlemen JJ thank you very much
2: it's so good to be back thanks guys
0: and Steve Sarmento
3: Everest there have people that have frozen they will forever rest on Everest
2: <laughs> he did it awesome <laughs> the Everest
0: joke that's great I'm gonna have you sing my mattress commercials. (laughs) Andy Nelson!
1: We'll talk to you next week.
0: All right, thanks everybody! Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It. Biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man.
1: And sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune.
0: And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grand's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book and it's fantastic.
1: It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to the slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories.
0: And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu.
1: That's right. TheNextReel.com slash Originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows.
0: So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash Originals and get your next read today.